ever since the first day I said that this company was going to be worth $1 billion. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. I'm Furkan Yus. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I've been the owner of Elevation Flooring for about four years now. I started with two partners, and we've been growing it ever since. Uh, we do close to $5 million, hopefully, this year. We're, like, right around 4.4, 4.5 right now. We're trying to close out the rest of December. Uh, and I just like business, man. I like building projects. I like, you know, I like what I do. So it's not really just all about the money, but, you know, the experience that it's been all oh, yeah, until man. now. I, I had a friend come uh, that I was just hanging out with, like, a couple of days ago. They asked me, they're like, Connor, what do you do for hobbies? And then my other friend ch- chimed in, they're like, uh, most of his hobbies just consist of like making money. I was like, "Oh, that sounds so nerdy, but it's kind of kind of true." Uh, it, so- it sounds like you have like a somewhat similar mindset in that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude, that, definitely. I mean, I I work with like my like a lot like my best friend growing up works with me. So and then you know I'm really good part like my partners are really great and I have like a great team at the office, so it really doesn't feel like work, but more like problem solving, complicated problem solving, like a puzzle. <laughs> That, yeah, that, that's that's fun. I, I sent out a tweet a little bit ago. Say problem solvers get paid, man, because it's true. Um, oh, but yeah. let's let's take it back to day one. So right now you're running a flooring business and a pretty cool flooring business too. I mean, I I, had a, I just sent out uh, messages asking if anyone had any questions. A lot of people wanted me to kind of dive into like if you guys use subcontractors or not, how you guys uh-huh. handle all of your uh, Turkish estimators, and we're gonna dive into all of it. But let's take it back cool. to a simpler time to the day one origins. Um, I guess the first thing I want to kind of kick off is like, why did you get into the flooring business? First of all, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where everyone who's listening to this episode right now understands flooring mm. from like a hardwood floor, rugs, tiles, like whatever, like, like the, the basic concept, but no one ever really thinks like, Oh, how much money is there to be made here? So when you were uh-huh. 23 getting started with all this kind of stuff, what got you into flooring in the first place? You know, I'll I'll go, you know, before and on how I kind of got into construction. So, you know, I've been someone who's probably been working, like I've been working since I was like 17, 16 years old, constantly doing something. And, you know, at, at first, obviously, I didn't want to. My parents were like, you know, get a job, go work. So I've had a job consistently since I was in high school for whatever reason. And when I was, you know, a lot of the times it wasn't really about the money for my parents and stuff like my parents would give me money enough money but they really wanted me to work my dad really wanted me to work you know so I never understood why growing up but I guess he was you know teaching me a lot teaching me how to be a man but I went from you know at first I was selling some tools like construction tools then during college I got really lucky so I had a break where like like the Watergate Hotel in DC so the big hotel where the scandal went down and everything they were renovating that hotel like seven years ago and they brought a crew from Turkey to come do the tile work. So they hired like 30 dudes to do really complicated stuff, you know, fresh off the boat. And they got there and they realized there was just absolutely no communication between the contractor and these guys. So then they, they were looking for, you know, a translator, but not only a translator, someone that could follow the superintendent all, all over the job site, you know, so it's a hotel, 500 rooms, and imagine crews, two guys working in each bathroom, 20 bathrooms a day. And, you know, someone who could walk up the stairs constantly just, you know, on the job site every day. So there wasn't much competition for me. I went there first day in a suit, 
all the guys laughed at me, you know, coming, it was, it was just June and it was so hot and I was in the suit and, you know, I got there, everybody was laughing at me and then they were like, sure, you got the job. So for that four months, I was working on a construction job site and I saw tile. So I really got the chance to like see the field, see exactly how, you know, drawings go down, how tile gets installed, everything. And on the other side, I was translating the top meetings between the owner of the the crew and the, the main contractor who was subcontracting the workout. So this guy, he had been in the country for like 20 years now, and he still didn't know like English and he didn't really care to. And I was just negotiating huge deals, man. They were just trying to give him projects. And he was like, no, yes, no, yes. You know, just, and he'd be like, ask for more money. I'm like, he's, he's giving you half a million dollars. He's like, no, I want 550, 600. So I saw him, I saw his attitude and, you know, I was just like, this guy, he's nothing special. You know, I, I mean that in the best way, but you know, I, I realized that it didn't take much. So then I was in college during that time after that summer was over, it was a nice little internship for me. That project actually went to hell after I was gone. But, but it's, it's, comp- it's one of those, one of those things where you see the guy and you're just like, if he's making all this money and he's, he's look like, looks like that and is doing it like this, I could be yeah. making so much more money. Dude, he didn't know English and he didn't care. Like he didn't care. He just, you know, he, I just saw that when you have something that people need, like they just, they'll find you and they'll buy it from you, whether, you know, you care to sell to them or, or not. You could add that 20% English speaking markup on the contract when you, when you go start taking over and getting job bids. <laughs> exactly. That, you know, that's a big part of it too. So after, after the Watergate hotel, I went back to school and I worked, I started working at another carpet company. So at this carpet company, I was doing sales. So I, I would, you know, I was working for apartment turnover companies. So I would have accounts of apartment complexes. I would save all the unit plans and then they'd be like, Hey, be, you know, put on the schedule or whatever. So I would have all of these, all of these jobs just backed up and ready to go. And I would have to open accounts, get new accounts, but like just doing sales, carpet sales. So that was cool. I did that for like a year. Then after I graduated school and then once I graduated, I got a job at like a real construction company. Dude, I was an econ major. I had, I had no idea how I like finagled myself into this company. Right. Like I, the other person getting hired with me was like an MBA. He had his MBA from Purdue and like, no, he had his master's from Purdue in construction management. So I'm an econ major. And then I'm getting hired next to this guy. And they're like, they knew my experience. And they just, like, I really wanted it. In but the wait, back, back, back it up. So I, and I got that, like, showing grit, showing hustle and stuff like that in the interview process. Um, you, you, I feel like when I hear it get hired at a construction company, and now that you run your own flooring business, immediately my background or my, my thought process goes to, oh, for comms, pro- like, probably didn't go to college. And he probably worked at, like, a construction site for a little bit. And then wanted to spin this out on his own. You were working back office on all this construction stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than the translating. Yeah. Other than the translating. Right. Yeah. Okay. That, that all makes sense. Did you just randomly apply for this job or, or did they kind of recruit you or, or how did that actually come about? Did you know you wanted to do construction after you graduated? Yes. That's the only thing I did know. So like a lot of my people, you know, econ majors, finance majors, account, like, you know, all those, like those type of majors. Right. And like, I was looking for jobs and I was getting 
all of these bullshit jobs like insurance and like financial advising and you know just all, all those type of jobs i was like all i know is i want to get into the construction business i don't care what i do you know how i get in there so i was really persistent i applied to like 200 of them right so this was a specialty millwork company so they would do like large staircases a lot of millwork cabinets all that type of stuff but commercial so somehow you know i i got in there i got that job and I re- they, they sent me to Colorado like twice to do training. And I really got to see how like a construction company with multiple branches operates, how they can satisfy clients in different regions and, you know, how an, how an official constru- like company really works. And I really learned so much, but they actually, they fired me. Right. So they fired me about like 90 days later or something for, they said, I didn't understand the construction business well enough. That's what they told me. Dude. Can you believe did, that? Did, did a project get messed up or what was, was there some sort of basis there? Or what happened? No, I mean, they just like, I, it really was just like a serious company, dude. It, like there's you know, older people there that had been doing construction. Really, I, I really never got the true answer of what actually happened, but you know, I was at, it was Memorial day weekend and I was driving up to the beach. I'll never, ever forget that. I was driving up to the beach and this guy fired me over the phone, dude. It's just, I got done so dirty. Like I, I never been fired in my life. Like I said, I've been working so many different places. Like it just hit me completely sideways. And, you know, it just, it, it really got to me. But so then I left that, left that job. And then I went to another company that did, I was a project manager on commercial tile projects. So again, the same type of work that I was doing at the translating, but, you know, on a grander scale, different projects, a little smaller projects, but, you know, high-end tile work, commercial tile jobs. So my company that I was with, I was like, dude, you guys are doing tile. I was like, this shit is so heavy. I was like, each pallet's like two tons. And I was like, it's all this work. I was like, you need to start a flooring division. I was like, that's what people are, are doing right now. I was like, they're starting a flooring company. And he was like, you know, yeah, that, that could work. So this company started transitioning into flooring. And then immediately they got a flooring job. Dude, like it, it was like two days later, they got a flooring. And they were like, look, Burke, we got a flooring job. I was like, damn. I was like, that was really fast. I guess like there's a lot of opportunity in this business. So then I called one of my old buddies up and I was like, hey, man, I'm, you know, from the company that I was selling for, I was like, hey, I need a good crew. So he's like, I can't do it, but my brother can. So he sends his brother to do this project for me that that we just won the new one from the, t- the tile company and then I, I see his crew and i'm like wow this is like the best this best crew i've ever seen in my life i was like you guys did a job that i had on paper three days you come you banged it out one day his work order was 2600 he was with four other dudes right so i just saw i knew if he, he was like paying them 250 he made like 1600 bucks installing just that day in one day so i was like dude this is the best crew i've ever seen i was like what, what do you do? He's like, yeah, I, I drive, like I, I do big jobs for flooring companies. I've been doing it for like five years now. I was like, okay, we got to partner up. So within like an hour to meet, me meeting this guy, my partner, Ray, we decided to start a business together. Then I had to take, then I called my, an estimator for my company. I was like, dude, I found the third person. We're starting this company right now. So then <laughs> I quit my job like two days later after that and Elevation Flooring was born. I I love it. I feel like you, you, you went from getting fired to 
getting a new job and then quitting because you got too much business out of it. How did how did how did that first kind of week go? Did did you guys find a client right away and get get a customer in there and and get booking or? So the the way that it went, we we sat down, we we all got met at this like we we all literally pulled out the map and found the middle point between all of us. We met in the back, like in the parking lot of a a library, and we split the company up, right? So I I my partner owns forty percent, I own thirty five percent, and Nelson owns twenty five percent. So and just to just to confirm, because I'm just visualizing this right now, but you guys all in the hood of your car, like mapping this all out. You guys actually went into the library to actually map this out, right? You were no, like, the park, the no, it was closed, so we couldn't go inside. I love it. We sat in the parking lot for two hours with like a laptop on the, you know, the in the bed of the truck, and we were just typing away. No one, no one was like, "Hey, we can just do this at my house." You guys were just like, "No, like this is this is the spot to do this." We were just so beyond excited, you know, like that, it just didn't matter. Like we were just so happy to be like around each other talking and, you know, it, so you have kind of like that day one of energy. Yeah. So that like, then we, after that, we went to a bank, we opened our bank account and we each put $2,500 into that bank account. So we had $7,500 in our bank account. And this is like about two weeks after I quit my job. So I was the first one to quit. Ray's still doing what he's doing. Nelson is still working. Then we go find, I found an office in this rinky dink building. And it's just like literally probably like 10 by 20 tiny. And the rent is $600 a month. So we're like, okay, this is, this is perfect. Like we'll, we'll, you know, we got it. And then we go, we rent that place, put deposit, the rent down. And then I'm just in that office by myself working you know, not even really doing anything important, you know, like just, just writing away like my business plan and really thinking about everything. And I, I love the, the, the conviction though, of like, you got the, the office rental right away. You, so you came in confident knowing that, that this is going to be successful for the most part. I, I was, I was really confident because I was a little naive, you know, if I knew what really was going to go into what I was doing, I wouldn't have done it. That's why I, I think it's really important that, you know, entrepreneurs that are young and have low risk just need to start because, you know, being broke, like, it's just not even that bad, dude. You just, you get by somehow, like you get to the next day somehow, like even if the worst thing happens and you lose your money and you got to grind a little bit, that's the worst thing that's going to happen. So and if I only get so could... bad. <laughs> Yeah, and I was gonna say there's there's also one element too where if you're a younger entrepreneur, being broke doesn't suck that much because you like, you don't know any different, right? Like you've kind of <laughs> always been broke. Whereas like if you're in your 30s and like now you're making like 200 a year or something like that, and then you're like, cool, now I'm not taking a salary anymore, and I'm gonna watch my savings dwindle down every single day while I go and get this thing up and running. That sucks a lot more. Yeah, I could imagine it's the unknown is just really scary, man. Like. You know, that's the thing about the unknown. It could be really exciting and you don't know what's coming or, you know, you can just be scared of it. But that's that's what I remember, just making PB&Js by myself in that one room office and trying to get to the next day. Like at first I was trying to copy the company that I was doing sales for. So I wanted to do apartment turnovers. But then I realized I don't have a warehouse. I don't have a carpet cutting machine. I don't have anything like I don't even have a warehouse. like I don't have anywhere to put the flooring at. I get 
you know? So it was like, we realized that we couldn't do that. And that, you know, pretty much our only option was commercial bidding, you know? So just to work with general contractors, bid the job, somehow get the flooring from the vendor straight to the job site and install it. It's, it's so funny. I'm just a huge visualization guy. I, like when I'm picturing you going in in your office and you're like, I didn't really have that much work to do for this first couple of days, but like now I'm you like making peanut butter and jellies and stuff like that. <laughs> and like the, the office kitchen or whatever. But no, I mean you like from our conversation last week, when it's all up and running, like you guys started moving quickly. Right. So if you're 27 today, you started this when you were 23 that mm-hmm. if my math is correct. That means you guys yeah. kind of kicked this thing off like what, 2017, 2018. Yeah. It was the November 2017. Yeah. Okay. So, so tail end of 2017. Okay. So but now, now talk to me through how you guys kind of managed this first couple of years. Was it based like, I think, and, and I guess less so management, talk to me numbers in terms of where you guys were at 2017. Did you make any money that year? And what did 2018, yeah, so- 2019, 2020 look like? So 2017, we didn't make shit. That's when the rest of the, the year was closing. 2018 is when we, you know, it was the fr- it was a fresh year, you know. So after getting everything going, I had the office, I had this website. Like I used to think, like website is so important. Like if I don't have website, you know, I barely like I didn't even get any business from my website for like two years. The website was completely irrelevant. But to me, it was a huge deal in the beginning to get things going. And but right, anyway, like- so. And yeah, I was going to say, ahead. if I could add here too, uh, if anybody is bored right now, just on their laptop listening to this right now, go look up the Berkshire Hathaway website. It's arguably the funniest thing that you could ever go and see. Like this is <laughs> a, a $100 billion plus company. And the thing looks like it was made back in like the 1980s. It's, it's absurd. <laughs> pre-internet. Pre-internet. Was yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, that was hilarious, man. It was Warren Buffett's really a gangster. But yeah, I got the, getting the website, getting all that stuff up and running. So the first two months of, we didn't get any business for six months. So I didn't get a single project until April, right? So I'm not taking money out of the company. I'm living at my girlfriend's house, basically. Well, after I got fired from my job, I moved back to my parents' house. I was down bad, dude. I was, I was down bad. (laughs) But so you, you didn't have any any business for six months. What what kind of kept you in, engaged then? I don't know. I, I feel like at that point, you, you must, must have been, been thinking, thinking like, like, shit, was this, this a good idea, idea or not, not right? right? Dude, believe it or not, at never ever in my life did I second guess the decision. Like never did I think that like, hey, there's like, I'm just like, I can't find the business. I, I was just like, I can't find the business. I need to go find the business. And I'm, I'm good at sales. Like I was good at sales. So at first... You know, we got the, our first project was a $13 apartment LVT project. Okay. So like we somehow, I don't really remember exactly, but we were just probably knocking on doors saying, Hey, does anyone need any flooring? That's, that's really all it was in the beginning. Like, Hey, do you need any flooring? And then our big break came when we got this $42,000 project. So I had one of my friends that I hired to do some sales and he was just knocking on doors. He went to this apartment complex right next to our university. They were like, sure. Yeah. We have 220 bathrooms that need to be done. And, and we were like, okay, that sounds really good. We got a price together. I'll, I put 50% margin on it, dude. Cost me like $21,000 and I sent it out for 44 grand. Right. And sorry, I just did the math. So 42,000 divided by, you said 220 bathrooms. Yeah. 
So the bathrooms so, were just like, they're like 30 square feet of pop. It's just LVT on the floor. Toilet needs to get up, put the LVT down, put the toilet back down. So you could do like five a day. Okay. I was going to say, so you're quoting basically like 190, 200 per bathroom. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exactly. That's, that's, like, yep. Cost like 100. Yeah. So, you know, I, I still estimated it not really well because like, you know, it's hard to move from bathroom to bathroom, even though it's like, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, it ended up costing like, I would say 25, 26. We got 42. Dude, I'll never forget. So when we won the project, we were like, okay, we need a 50% deposit up front, right? And then they were like, okay, sounds good. And then they sent us a deposit, $21,000. It went into the bank account. And I was like, okay. I was like, this now we're really, there's no turning back from anything. And at this so, point now, you, you and every other contractor, once you get the deposit down, you're like, well, now we're not going to do the job, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had the exact opposite effect. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get this like moving no matter what. So we got that project and then we eventually started getting like, you know, a smoothie king and some labor only projects. Right. So that's labor only is a, is a cheat code for people who want to start getting into bigger jobs that don't have, you know, the capital to run it. What I would do when I was first starting out is I would just give the GC the margin back on the material. So I could like, if I was really like backed up against the wall and I couldn't afford it, like I would never do this post contract, but even like, I won the job. I couldn't afford it. Then I would call the GC back and I'd be like, Hey dude, look, I can't afford to buy this flooring. And you know, if you buy it, I will give you, you know, the margin back on this product. So they would make money off funding the product for me. So I did a bunch of labor only projects in the beginning to get my cash cash flow right. So I would just do the install, get paid, then pay my installer. So who actually was doing the, the labor part, I guess on the, the first one you did, you know, who, who was going into the bathrooms and, ripping the toilets off and putting them on my, my partner, your partner was, yeah. Yeah. So my partner, he's, he's the one and dude, my partner, he's like, he's like the Michael Jordan of Florida. Like he's, he's like faster than like everybody else. He's like famous in my area for doing like the best work. He's American. So all of these guys are like American and people eat that shit up. And how, how did you find a way? Did, did you, did he charge by the hour? How did you kind of do that distribution with his equity, but then him also kind of putting up, the manual work or was that how we earned kind of the equity share of the company we we did we know like market rates so i've i've always we've always just paid what you know what we would have paid to any installer and my partner even to this day like he's he's very well like he he doesn't need like he didn't need us you know what i mean he was doing very well for himself and to this day he doesn't like pull out money out of the company you know so he's just does but he gets paid almost a million or two or like 1.5 million dollars in install money which he does very well. Damn. So walk me through the numbers from 2018. I think, I think this is where we're heading before, but 2018, yeah. how much did you guys do that year? And then 2019 to, to today. So, so to, at 2019 with that job. So then the rest of the year, I think we did like 200 grand or something. So like we didn't do a crazy amount of projects, um, but we got stuff going. Our big break really came from like, I, I, I just, I'm a big proponent of like, you know, not paying cash for everything, but paying, you know, in different ways. So like we found a company who had some warehouse space, but they had no estimators. So what we did is we, you know, my partner, my other partner, Nelson, who's also like a really, really good, like pre-construction, construction, office construction guy, he would just do some takeoffs and estimates for this guy. So 
in the middle of 2018, well, like four months in, we got a warehouse because we were paying two grand cash and then we were doing estimates. So somehow we got an office space and we got like half of a warehouse to actually buy the flooring and hold the flooring in it. So we started paying. You just, you just negotiated that by being like, Hey, listen, well, we're really good at estimating. We'll estimate your jobs. You guys give us a little bit of space. Exactly. Yeah. So they, it's just like, it's not that I'm like an expert negotiator and I somehow convinced this dude. Like if you ask enough people and you like, just think about every situation and what you can do for the person, you will find a deal that works for you. You know? So like this guy had free office space. It was already empty. He only was using the warehouse. So he's like, sure, I don't care that you can have it. And he would, he had money too. So he wouldn't come knocking on my door, collecting rent on the, on the first of every month. Like he'd let me go 30 days, 90 days, you know, and he was a, he was a good guy, but I don't know. He was a little sketchy too, but he was a good guy. And, but now we had a warehouse, you know, and, and that's this office that I'm talking about. It's, it was like the heat went out in the middle, like that the end of that year. So we didn't have any heat for the winter time. So I remember at one point we had space heaters in between our legs under our desks, trying to stay warm in this office, man. And like, I remember I would come in the morning and like my desk would be covered in like rat shit because like rats were like walking over our shit at, at night. But it had a wipe warehouse. it off, put the brand new MacBook Air down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just none of that phased us. What what was your lead funnel looking like at that point? Is it still door to door? Or cause it like you just have kind of a crazy ramp up from six months on nothing, you know, two hundred K your first year. Then you had kind of exponential growth there. Was it was it more just you had a solid foundation and you ramped up your outbound strategy or word of mouth or how did how did you manage that a from a lead side and then also just from a you know management side? So we're you know where we're lucky at and what we're good at, we just have really good quality of work, dude, and we do it really fast. So like again, like my partner's good. So people just like when we catch a client they don't like, they don't let us go, <laughs> you know? So when we start doing work for somebody, it just keeps going. But the, the real, like, so we did 200 K in 2018, right? I would say, well, if depending on where you do the contracts or however you, that number can fluctuate, but you could say 400, you know, for, for 2017, but then 28, I mean, 2018 for 2019, we did $3.4 million. So the, the secret code to that exponential growth right there is, so this is good shit right here. Okay. So if you are. Get your pen and paper, write this down. If you own a residential contracting business, okay. Most likely you can do commercial construction. Okay. And pretty much to get in with commercial construction companies, they have pre-qualifications, right? So every Turner Davis, all the small ones in the area. So you're you're a small contractor, okay? What you do is you find all of the worst GCs in your area. Find the worst ones, okay? Find the ones that are doing retail fit outs, the mall work, the you know, the strip mall work, the office work, that type of the smaller projects. And again, approach these people with labor only jobs. Go to them, pre-qualify with them, walk Talk to the project managers, talk to anyone at the door and just say, hey, I want to do some labor only work. I want to do a small job for, for you. So 
we started going on a pre-qualification rampage, man. So I, I would pre-qualify with like four different general contractors every day. And then I created this bids email. So it's bids at elevationflooring.com. And all of these general contractors I would pre-qualify with would just send me two, 10 projects a day, 15 projects a day. And we just price them up constantly, right? And just, and sorry, just, just to confirm. So I think uh, for anyone listening right now that's not in like the SMB space or whatever, when you say general contractors, when you say pre-qualify and they're sending you bids, like in the grand scheme of things, say I don't understand any of this. What does that all mean? Okay. So a general contractor, so there's an architect, right? There's usually a construction manager or an, or an owner's representative, an architect and a general contractor. The architect draws it. The owner's rep will look out for the owner, the person, whoever is wants to build the buildings, you know, bottom line, or they're in charge of the construction. And the GC, the general contractor will build what the architect has in the drawings. Okay. So then the general contractor will take this whole all of these drawings for the plumbing, electrical, mechanical, paint, and send it out to all of its contractors. So it'll send it out to hundreds of people, right? And people will look at this bid and say, hey, this looks really good, I will do it. So they will get a cost for the whole project by getting together pricing from all of these different contractors and covering pretty much the whole scope of work. And and you essentially became one of those contractors that they would send everything to and you could bid on your flooring install pricing. Yes. So I, I, again, like I started working with the smaller general contractors in my area. I found them just type in general contractors on Google, <laughs> you know, and look for the ones that are like, not like if they have a shitty website, like we were talking about, go, go to that, you know, and, and walk in, say, I want to pre-qualify. You don't even need to walk in, just call them and, Someone, some secretary is going to send you a form to pre-qualify. Once you pre-qualify, you're unlocked as a bidder. Once you're unlocked as a bidder, they will send whatever email, all of their projects constantly. And what's, what's, what's up to you is to be able to bid them. So then what we did is once we got all these GCs going, we were like, okay, this is, this might work. Then we went and we got estimators. So then we taught, you know, a bunch of young college kids. I went to my, like, I went to. I looked up the, country, the the schools that had good architecture programs and I went to them and I posted things on the door saying like, you know, flyers everywhere saying, hey, company looking for estimators. And I put $15 an hour under it. So then, you know, a couple people applied. One of my best friends started, another kid from my high school started, and then two other people started. So we went with four dude, right off the bat, like $15 an hour because we couldn't, we didn't want to turn any of them down. So I had these like four people in my office just bidding all day and it was just hard, man. A lot of mistakes, a lot of just, you know, but go, go after smaller projects. Like what a big mistake that we did is I would go for million dollar projects right off the bat. Like we were, we were bidding like millions and millions of dollars of work. And it was a huge mistake for us because back to what I was saying about the tiers, since you're the bottom tier G contractor you need to work with the bottom tier gc like if you try to work with the top tier gc they're gonna not like they're just gonna run circles around you and you're not gonna get paid if you're the bottom tier you work with bottom tier mid-tier works with mid-tier and top tier works with top tier so you just you need to know your lane it's funny hearing you describe this like coming from a point of view of someone who like has no idea how any of this stuff works because the only thing that i think about when i hear this kind of stuff is like that scene from war dogs 
where he's just like sitting at his computer, like waiting for all like these government defense contracts coming out. And they're just like, oh, no, man, like the big defense contractors, like they're going for the tanks. They're going for all that kind of stuff. Like we live off the breadcrumbs. Like that's like where the yeah. bread and butter is for us. And I feel like that's exactly what you're saying here. It's like, listen, we're not trying to go and like retrofit the, the flooring for an entire mall or, or maybe not mall, but like, like a hotel or whatever like that. Like give us a strip mall. We'll do the <laughs> hell out of those floors and we will crush it. Like is that – is that safe to say? Exactly. That's that's exactly the right thing. Like, because the ones that are even like mid, everybody who's mid tier is trying to be top tier, and everybody who's bottom tier is trying to be mid tier, and you know, no one's actually bottom tier. But you 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 got to find those people because they have the low insurance requirements. They have the, you know, like they're just way more easygoing, and it's not like a project manager who's been just like ripping people off for since time began. You know, so you can work with people in your own lane. Like I would rather work with a bottom GC than ever working with a residential client. Residential is the worst. It will, it's the, the worst, but we'll, we, that's a whole different thing. But so it's, it sounds like you figured out the, the, the bidding process. You got estimators, you cranking out bids. You, I'm assuming you started to win them at some point. What did the other side look like with, you know, the labor and actually completing them? Did you guys severely underbid anything and, and, you know, totally mess it up? How did you scale up the labor? I'm assuming it wasn't as easy as just, you know, winning the bids and now now it's just automated. So, so again, like the, the labor part of it to, to us was not always the, the hardest part. You know, I had like my partner, he would do some projects, but, you know, again, he knew a lot of people too, you know, so like, my, like, again, speaking of tiers, like my, my partner, Ray, he's used to doing the top tier flooring companies work. Like he's doing hotels and huge work. Sometimes like, you know, he couldn't break off like three guys from like a crew. So we had a, a lot of different people, but you know, it's just, it's all about control with contractors, man. You have to, you just have to pay very well and you have to know what you're doing. Like, the best contractors, the best installers, they don't want to know, like, think, when, when is my next project coming? Oh, can I, like, let me go. He just wants work every single day, and he wants it six days a week. That's all he wants. Like, and, you know, when we find some people, we would always just, like, try to fill up their schedule every single day. Like, just because I have employees and I have contractors. I give them, I give my contractors elevation flooring t-shirts i say on my projects you wear my shirts and i you know i have a list of stipulations for payment and i have you know like i said i fill them up 40 hours a week so i i treat them just like my own and i pay them more than other people <laughs> yeah that's, so that's smart and, and honestly that's that's there's a lot of comparisons with what you're saying and what we heard from john rivera who like scaled up his pest control business like we had him on a previous podcast and he's like honestly if you can go and give them work every single day, then they're not going to be looking to other companies or for other random jobs. And instead they're going to go and kind of like get fixed and get addicted to that, like consistent salary that you can go and provide them. And they're going to work for you all the time. Which is kind of what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, cause a lot of these companies, they try to fuck these guys over, dude. Like mm. they, they, they try to like, Oh, just cause they're like Spanish or something. They don't, they think they can like, they don't have like the right insurance or something. They just like try to get over them all the time. And everybody in this business has been burned a lot. So like oh, fucked up. a big, a big emphasis, a big emphasis that we have is like, we try to, you know, we bring our contractors into the office, you know, we bring them into our conference room. We don't just talk to them in our warehouse, like, our, like our competitors. 
you know, we, we give them, we give them beers when they get here. We talk, we talk about all of the projects that we have going and, you know, and like I work with them to help them make more money. Like it's, right. it's not like I, they're doing my jobs. I'm like, dude, okay, I go, go here to do this. I call him. I'm like, yo, if you have time after this one, go do this one. He makes like $500 a day, you know, and, and on our business, when things are good, you want to work as much as possible because things can get slow and, you know, not be as good. So everybody wants to do as much as possible when things are busy. What does your current team look like now with, I guess, office space, warehouse space, overhead, full-time employees, contractors? How's that set up? Well, um, I'll just say one more thing about contractors. So the top ways to find subcontractors, if you're looking for subcontractors, go to your vendors in the area and just post up right outside of the door. Like seriously, if you, if you're, this is the biggest thing stopping you from getting into this business. Go to the vendors and sit outside the door and talk to all the contractors that come pick up the flooring. I'm not talking about Home Depot, not Home Depot. Fine. If you're paying, go to Sherwin-Williams, like HVAC people. They have all of those like specialty distributors. Like you have to go where the real guys are going. and You have to find the best ones. You can't just try to persuade a residential guy to do commercial flooring or try to teach somebody some shit. Like you have to go to the best guy, pay him top dollar and treat them right. But so yep. you can do that or you can another really good way to find contractors. This is especially the best way to find subcontractors is to find a good fucking project manager that already has a bunch of subcontractors. OK, so like you don't you shouldn't like this is how I'm going to be growing to all of my various cities. Like I'm not planning on trying to take all of my crews, but I know I'm going to try to poach the shit out of good project managers from the larger foreign companies out there. So. To be competitive, because like the large flooring companies are probably paying them well. Are you like hitting them with, with the pitch of listen, like you can go and like have way more autonomy? Like, you know, I'm 27, like, you know, we can, we're not going to be super formal wearing suits all the time, or like, what's, yeah, how do you get them? Yeah, exactly. Just like that, dude. I, I'm like, they, like, they put these guys, dude, they put them, like, they'll give them a, a subcontractor intro packet, right? That's like 20 page, pieces of paper that like need to be renewed every year. Cause they just, they're trying to catch them in something so they can hold the pay and not pay them. Like, seriously, that's a bit like these bigger foreign companies, their margins are tighter. They're like, you know, that, that they don't have more money to pay people. Like the thing about construction, there isn't like a cheaper with scale. Like I don't ever pay my guys less because they're doing more work. Like I'm like, Oh, this is a hundred thousand square feet. Let me pay you a dollar instead of a dollar 25. No, like construction is construction and it's work. Work is work. You don't like do less work because you're doing more work. So the, these companies will always try to cut money, try to do stuff and just, you know, it's not healthy. And there's a lot more installers than you think, man. like a lot. There's not a limit on them. There's a lot. Can we, can we still dive into um, what, like what sort of scale are you now with, with kind of employees and contractors and then, I also want to touch, you said kind of as you expand, what, what is that going to look like? Are you going to expand into different regions? Um, and curious how, you know, what, what your goal is there and how you're going to attack that. Yeah, well, future growth is, is really a lot, has a lot to do with, I would say, two things for us. Like, so 28, I mean, 2019, it was a really good year. That's 3.3. Then COVID happened, bro. So we had that great year, right? And then at the end of the year, we had that idea. We're like, dude, I'm trying to find estimators in America. This isn't working. Like, 
I'm going to go back to Turkey and, and see what I could do. So I talked to one of my really good cousins out there and, you know, I, I send him a drawing set. I'm like, dude, ask around your friends, like send this to some people. Tell me if they can just like comprehend this. And like, if there's something here. So his girlfriend at the time happened to be an architect and she looked at it and she was like, Ferk, this is very possible. Like, this is actually very easy. We can all do this. And I was like, and that's where it like clicked in my head. I was like, I'm not looking for people in America anymore. So then right. The same thing. Like we thought about that, like in like November, November or something we immediately january 1st got an office in turkey you know so rent and uh -huh. Cla clarify this for me real quick so you're saying the reason that it's, it's so much better is because essentially you don't need to be on site somewhere to estimate and now you can pay like a fractional level of the labor cost is that correct yeah it, it was a fraction of the like like the labor cost really isn't the most important thing like for me it's it's one like the level of service. So I started being able to turn bids around way faster. So, you know, we work like eight hours, 12 hours here, 10 hours here, and they work 10 hours there. So Elevation Flooring is actually working 20 out of the 24 hours a day compared to all of our competitors. So if I need an estimate and I need it really bad, I get it the next day from my estimators and they, you know, they help me win the work. And in my business, if you're not first, you're last. Seriously, so you have getting the bid to the client first is really important. I mean, from um, as a quick quick side note, Connor and I have been doing this storage project and trying to get bids on anything has been such a nightmare. The people that gave us the bids were essentially the ones that won the project. I think at one point I had like 15 contractors looking at it and I had to follow up with all of them. I was like, hey, can you can you tell me how much this is going to be? Are you interested in the work? It's It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude, people people call contractors and like, please let me let me give you some money to do this. And they're like, no. <laughs> but let me actually ask you, if you don't mind, like at this point now, we're about like, you know, 40 or so minutes into recording. And I feel like I understand your business pretty well now. I think I also understand like how you guys hit that inflection point of scaling up. Um, I guess what Gio was kind of alluding to as well, and what, I, what gets me interested in something like this is like you guys – you, would you still qualify as like a small tier guy? Or would you say like you're more mid tier now? Yeah. So now, now I'm the, I'm a mid tier company. So okay. now I and don't. So, I I fired those bottom tier general contractors last year. Right. Okay. And so if you guys are like, you guys, you're on track right now to hit five million in sales for this year. I think is is kind of the number mm -hmm. we talked about before. Like, fast forward, and you're thirty years old now. So that's three years from now. Like is this going to be like a $20 million a year business or is this the kind of thing where you're like, great, we make $8 million every single year. I'm back and my life is easy. And I'm like, you know, vacations, like you're just over in Vegas and doing the national park stuff. Like, is that your goal or where, where's your head at with that? Um, I mean, my, my goal is ever since the first day I said that this company was going to be worth $1 billion. That's, that's really our, our goal. Like I I'm, so now with Turkey, they're they're really starting to teach each other. So like it's just this amazing, amazing energy, man. Like, like they they're just they're limitless. Like seriously, the sky is the limit for them. And like last year, we made a software for ourselves, which costs like around fifteen to twenty, like around twenty thousand dollars for us. But so we estimate in our own software, and it, then it just transfers to project management. So we've made it so like. Installing and 
managing the project has become the easiest part for us. Everything we worry about is an estimator. And what 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 are those levers going to be though to to actually reach that kind of scale? Is it is it regional expansion? Are you going to go to different cities and hire teams there? Is it you know now now that I have the estimators in Turkey that can be the manpower for estimating, I don't need to go to Philly and open an office yet. I can just start estimating all around me and you know slowly sending my crews out to do a couple jobs and then once stuff gets steady i'll just open a warehouse i do all my billing in turkey i do all my estimating in turkey so i'll only need a warehouse and a project manager to manage the project and like i said i'm going to hire crews locally from these project managers so i can essentially attack a city before i get there do you see any risk with finding the good people if you don't have the person right your your current partner right now has brought in a lot of the you know seems like the the people to do the actual labor part how are you going to tackle that in a new city without really having a, a good foundation of people you know dude i'm going to just take them from other foreign companies <laughs> all right that's fair <laughs> I, like i'm 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 not like really guys like that should be the last thing stopping someone from getting into this business the crews like there are other professionals that want to make money they're not doing working with you like there's as long as you pay good and you can create a good business relationship you're going to find plenty of crews like there's a lot of crews man. like it's it's interesting because as soon as you as soon as you said that you want to like get to a billion dollar foreign company my immediate reaction was like oh he's saying this for the podcast that's a nice number like definitely would make a really good headline like all that kind <laughs> of stuff um i was like but foreign companies don't actually get that big and then I just looked uh, it up, and floor and decor is a nat- uh, is a publicly traded company with a thirteen billion dollar market cap. So, like, yep, it's possible. Uh, dude, look bad. at spec. Look at what we were sp- talking about, Warren Buffett. So, Warren Buffett owns uh, Spectra Flooring. They have eighteen sure. branches across the country, and they do six hundred million dollars a year. I you like I know. eat Spectra. Spectra, Spectra. Yeah. So I eat their food, man. I've stolen so much accounts and people from these these people that you know i'm i'm going to go i'm opening branches everywhere spectra has a branch first <laughs> that's that's my goal so i'm going right to co- like i'm pepsi they're coca cola or I, like whatever i'm i'm lyft they're uber so i'm i'm trying to be that second company that just is really annoying to them until they want to buy me maybe one day what what does everything look like margin wise if if you're doing 5 million a year what are you guys actually taking home and how do you manage the, the cash flow on scaling um, overhead and balancing all of that? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, we net about like on my commercial projects, I net 20% on my end user projects. I do like 30%. So I'll do, I'll do like a million dollars in end user work and then the rest will be general contractors. But a good thing with general contractors is change orders. So like we harp a lot on going out, and, you know, if you get a job, if you're a project manager, you get a job at 18%, it's your job to go to 22%, 25%. You know, commissioning and structuring is is that too. So we've been really lucky that like a lot of, like we make a good profit, dude. There's good money in this stuff because like we, we offer services that you would need to go to multiple companies for. So we're really good at lift insulation. So like cubicles, like I've done so much work for AT&T. It's just offices and offices and offices of stuff. They don't want to move the cubicles out there's just not a lot of flooring companies that can lift cubicles up and install under them. So it's just, mm. yeah, it's, it's yeah. just, 
So if they were to hire a mover, they would have to pay like probably as much as they're paying me. So I say, hey, how about you, you know, I'll do a lift installation for you. And on a lift installation, it's it's really, really good money. And then I do a yeah. lot of floor prep and I do a lot of ceramic too. So I don't do just tile. And my ceramic, like my ceramic, I, I don't give my installers out to anybody. And I do it at like 35%. Ceramic is a whole different ball game, commercial ceramic. But so, so all let of me, all, mm-hmm. oh god, I was just all, like a lot of the things we still do. Like I don't do hardwood installation anymore. I barely do polished concrete anymore. I I dropped all the stuff that doesn't make us money. Smart, you're you're focusing on the, the high margin stuff. Let me ask you, and and you can feel free to say skip or whatever like that if you don't want to get too in the weeds on some of this kind of stuff. But I just have like three a little bit more personal questions that like when I hear of someone young starting a business, I think that's awesome, but they're probably reinvesting a ton of that money to go and grow the business, right? So uh-huh. like the first question that I have right off the bat is I hear $5 million a year in sales. Like, do you take a big salary personally or do you keep a lot of it in the company? So I don't take a big, like none of my partners take a big salary. What we, we see the money that's, so we, speaking of cash flow, the only investments we've ever gotten is a $150,000 EIDL loan god bless covid blessing in the skies right an amex bill that's always maxed out by the 10th of the month like 200 grand every month onto amex and then i have this really another huge little secret if you're this deep into the podcast look up bill b-i-l-l-d okay so they will help you fund any project that you have going if you have a contract from a general contractor they're expensive so every week for every $10,000, you'll pay $50 every week. But it's helped me take on any project that I've always desired. I'd rather make a lower margin, but take the job on. Sometimes okay. it's just if, if the margin is too tight. But so what I take home, like a lot of, did you know, like when you have a business, like the business credit card is just yours. You know, like you, there is like an acceptable amount that you can spend. That's okay. Right. So you can have lodging in there. Right. So if your house is close, your rent is close to the job site. Right. And maybe you wouldn't be living there. Your rent can be a business expense. Huge disclaimer, not financial advice, not financial advice. I don't think any IRS agents listen to this podcast, but if they do, (laughs) and we don't do this, um, I don't I don't do that anymore. But the first two years of my business, bro, how do you think we get by? You know, like rent, you just... rent is a super gray area for my understanding. Meals, yeah. airlines, cell phone bill, all good to go. Uh, the points are great. The points are phenomenal. When, when you start racking up the, the credit card points and then, you know, start using those. I know, I know a couple of people that like their whole salary almost just comes from business points, which is crazy. No, and, and it's just... I don't know. I, I like, I take me and my partners take enough of a salary that we're good. And, you know, you don't have to do that type of stuff all the time, but you know, but, but the, but that's how we've made everything work, man. We've had like, we just have this big bag of cash that's keep in and out, in and out, in and out. That's constantly funding everything. That makes sense. So the, the two other questions I had that can be a little bit more like rapid fires, like, I had one question here written down that I'm just always curious with people my own age, like how do you manage your money? And I guess like a better question of that is really asking like is elevation flooring, like 
you know, 99% of your net worth and you're just all in all your chips are on the table? Or do you take some cash out and throw it into like cryptos or like, uh, you know, side hobbies or things like that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I've made the mistake of, you know, I made it, you know, I buy stocks and that's just, just such a distraction, dude. Like every time, like I've lost a lot of freaking money on cryptocurrency at, at today at this point, because I'm sure you guys have seen, but that's just, just such a distraction. Like, like really like the best thing that we can do right now is just all focus all into what we're doing. Like I've never, like, I just realized that I thought I worked a lot. I thought I worked a lot, but I don't, I didn't. Like I realized that I, I could work even more than I am. Like the people who are great, the greats that we see in life, they, they have multiple things that they're doing and they're, you know, so the best thing we can do is not distract ourselves and go all in on a couple ventures that we know are going to work out. Is that some concentrated risk that you feel like you can actually control? And then especially now too, because it goes back to that risk statement, right? Your worst case scenario, you'll get a job at any contracting firm, right? If you had to, if you go out. Yeah. So might as well. But I'm also just good at like, at providing flooring now, dude. Like I can go anywhere and I can get flooring installed. I could go to a small town, you know. So it, it is also just like a skill that if you learn, it's hard to take away from you. Like that's the thing. My business partner, he makes a lot, but he has a, he has a huge fucking boat that I know is really expensive. So like I know he just he makes a lot of money and he spends a lot of money and he's one of the happier people I know. So that's, that's the way to be dude. Like if you're making less than a hundred grand a year, like investing something into like, you know, that's, you shouldn't be investing if you're like making that much money, you should still be investing in yourself. I think. But yeah, then I once you're making, once you're making 25, $30,000 and it's like, okay, now I, I have a house and I'm not paying like now I should be thinking about like, how can I invest this money? But like, if you're stressing about investing your 17 grand right now, like just wait until that's like a hundred grand. Like, yeah, I feel go like make a hundred grand faster. Yeah. I feel like the highest ROI typically comes yeah. when you're investing yourself and starting your own business. Um, yeah. The last question I had, not money management aside, and this is just, if you has another question after this, go for it. But um, the last thing I personally had is like, who do you know right now? And you don't have to name names or anything like that. Um, that's basically doing something or, or building a company outside of flooring that makes a good chunk of money that if you had to shut it all down, you can't do elevation flooring anymore. You would want to go and swap spots with them and kind of like do what, do what they're doing. Hmm. You, don't have to, you don't have to name swap. names. It can even be like as much as like, you know, Hey, I'd rather be doing like something. Swapping places with somebody i don't know man i think oh oh yes one of my father's friends who's like just like this really average normal guy started a cybersecurity training business right they did like 700 grand or something right their third year of business some company from texas flew in and bought them for 14 million dollars Can you believe that? I'm going to start one of those. He started, he he and That's I were enough. talking about, like, he was like, I'm trying to start a company. We were talking about elevation flooring years ago. So we started around the same time. And then my dad's like, well, you know, like the cybersecurity. I'm like, that. I'm like, I'm good with flooring. But, you know, 
immigrant dads always, but but yeah, yeah he, he just that's crazy. Yeah, All right, at so first that, they gave him ten, and then they said no, and then they were like, do fourteen, and then they get like four hundred grand salary for the next three years or something. It's just nuts. Uh, okay. All right, cybersecurity is where the money's at then. Yeah. Oh yeah, cool, Furkan. Well, man, it was a pleasure chatting. I feel like this hour just went by super quickly, but uh, I know people are going to be having more questions after this, and I always get DMs afterwards. So uh-huh. save my save my inbox. Where can people go and find you uh, if they have questions or want to like hit you up after this? Yeah, I mean, I think Twitter is like the best way at Furk Use. Um, you can email me too, Furkan at elevationflooring.com. Um, but like I, I, I like. Don't ask me if I would pick flooring again, or don't ask me some stupid ass questions. If you if you want to ask me something, ask me something super specific that's going to make you more money. Okay, don't ask me something about myself. Okay, so if I, if I can communicate with one person about one thing, I would rather help you make more money. You know, I think one thing I'm really good at is I'm good at helping. Like take a business where people feel like they can't remove themselves from the business. They feel like they they need to be an essential part. I, I spent a lot of time on elevation flooring systems, like my organizational chart. I make I still make a business plan every year. I updated my org chart this morning. I update my job descriptions. I drag and drop jobs descriptions from people all the time. So I think I can I can help people with that a lot, you know, and, and help you get your contracting business from maybe residential to commercial because you know the hardest part, I'll just I'll finish with this. The hardest part about the construction business that I don't like is design, like helping the client pick stuff. That's not what an expert elevation flooring is on. And like a lot of residential companies is like, does, does the woman, does the wife like this? Does the husband like it? Does they pick like the colors is the carpet or, you know, no, like that uncertainty is just going to take more time and commercial. They tell you everything you need to do. So we get a bunch of subcontractors, take on as much work as possible, put everything on a steady schedule, and just slowly stack money. You can do this without having a lot of money. It's possible. Amazing. Well, Well, man, it was a pleasure chatting to you again, and uh, we'll catch up with you. Connor, you're a G. Giovanni, thank you, bro. I appreciate it.